Welcome into the Magic Weekly Podcast. Jake Chapman with you in our Magic Studios. Monday, December 16th. The Magic now 12 and 14 on the year and embarking on a trip out west. I uh, got the W yesterday over the New Orleans Pelicans, 130 to 119 this week. It'll be uh, Tuesday in Salt Lake City, Wednesday against the Denver Nuggets, and then Friday night against the Portland Trailblazers. And as we do every time on this podcast, we take a look back and a look forward. And my guest today is Dan Savage from OrlandoMagic.com. Nice enough to join me in studio. I think you're probably the second guest we've had on the podcast who actually came in studio. Dante Marcatelli, probably the only other one. So I appreciate it. Thanks for coming in. No, thanks for having me. I could already feel your influence on this podcast with the intro music. <laughs> Uh, you know, you have to share drive time with Dante, so he has a little bit of an input there. But this really feels like a Jake podcast. That felt like a Jake. That felt like a Jake bumper bed. That it did. took me about two hours of sifting through our music library to identify that, because as everybody knows, great podcasts are uh, only identified by the intro music. You know, I mean, that's it's a key. You could turn somebody away right by there, and they skip away, and and that's the end of it. So I know that. You spent a lot of time in it, and I could already feel your influence. Yeah, yeah, you know me well. Um, all right, let's talk about last week first. And I think it, I was calling it Hell Week. Uh, all, I mean, <laughs> it was about as tough as it gets. And you go through Monday against the Milwaukee Bucks, and it's a game that's very winnable. And you've got a couple lapses on the glass, and that's it. Wednesday against the Lakers, very winnable game. A couple lapses defensively, obviously, came out early in the first quarter and dug yourself a hole. Did a great job fighting back, but that was that. Steve Clifford said bo- after both games, like, this isn't good enough. Like, I need 48 minutes of consistent basketball. And I loved sending that message because, it. I mean, you, you look at the Lakers and the Bucks, and they're obviously the, the top of the class in, in both conferences right now. But if the Magic want to get there, you can't take moral victories. I like that Steve sort of had a, a hard hand with them after both of those games, didn't you? No, definitely. Last week felt like a finals week in a difficult semester with your hardest class coming up last. Yes. And by the end of it, you're just exhausted. You didn't even spend enough time studying on that final one, and you just get wrecked. And there's no excuse for it. You pick the classes. Everybody's got to deal with it. you got to go through with it. And I thought Clifford's message was well-received. Got to hear a little bit of his speech to the team before they went on that trip, Mm. and it was all about becoming refocused, doing the hard things, doing the little things, and take advantage of this trip. And you saw that right off the bat. They played team basketball. There was a focus, a purpose of play right away in New Orleans. So I like the way that things started off on this uh, sort of West Coast strip that starts off in New yeah, Orleans. Yeah, in New Orleans, and then you, you swing through the Rocky Mountain time zone. That performance by James Harden on Friday night, and it's funny, I, I came away thinking, okay, you know, you just tip your cap, like that's what it is. But I also felt like the Magic played pretty well. I mean, Evan Fournier was going toe-to-toe for a while with him. I mean, obviously they ran away in the fourth quarter. You give up 68 points and a half, you're probably going to lose that game no matter what. You end up losing by 23. But it felt like it was a lot closer for a lot more of the game, I think, than than 23 points, didn't it? No, definitely. And in those type of games, uh, I always feel like, look, those superstars are going to get get theirs. Right. Uh, James Harden's going to get his. There's you know, only so much you could do. Some of the shots he were was hitting was phenomenal and you're just going to have to live with it when you're playing a play of that caliber you can make things as difficult possible the stuff that frustrated me was more the ben mclemore's Mm. uh, of that team where he goes six to seven from three getting some wide open three-point opportunities and look if you're going to trap Harden and stuff like that it has to be hustle you have to cycle through on defense 
and you have to make sure you get there and close out. And I thought that was the more troubling stat line for me when you see Ben McLemore go six to seven uh, from three point range, and when you consider the fact, uh, you know, that James Harden is going to go off and give you, uh, you know, <laughs> a ton of points, fifty four points in that game. You you can't have other guys be that efficient and score that many points. So that was the the troubling factor for me more so than Harden uh, going off for fifty four because he's been doing that seemingly against anybody. It's I mean what what do you make of him right now? He, I don't know if I've ever seen anybody score like this. No, he's he's otherworldly and the the ability to both do it off a step back. Yeah, we're not talking about a set shot. He's he's stepping back in the little gallop. So so you have that and then. You know, he also has an explosive first step and is willing to go to the rim and take contact. So he just keeps you off balance. And the thing about him is he's not even forcing him. Like it's he's making the right play. If you if you try to close out too hard on the step back, then he's driving you, catching you off balance, fouling. If you bring too much help, he's kicking it out yep. and, and you know. T- padding the assist totals. So he's just doing it in all different elements. You know, in a night he scores 54 points, he also has seven assists. Yeah. So he's just a great player. And what you really have to do in those situations, in my opinion, is that guy's going to get his. You have to limit the players around him, and the Magic were unable to do that in that game. Do you follow Andy Bailey on Twitter? I do. Have you? He just tweeted this like an hour ago. Have you seen this? It's, it's Harden's shot chart. I don't know if you can see it from there. It is... I mean, literally, he's taken one, two, three, four, five, six shots this year that weren't in the paint or or beyond the three point line. I mean, <laughs> he's, he's Mr. Modern Day Analytics. I mean, he's playing for the right team with that. You have a coach who's bought into that, a front office who's bought into that, and a player who's bought into that. And that's that's the whole thing about the NBA. If you could get everybody on the same page right. in an organization, you're going to have success. And that's what they have there. They have a you know Daryl Morey, who's very analytics driven. Mike D'Antoni, who's doing the six seconds or less before, or seven seconds or less before everybody else. Yep. Uh, you know, which seems slow now. Now everything's about four seconds <laughs> right, or less. Right. Uh, what took you so long? And then uh, you know James Harden, who's fully bought in and is a superstar who plays that way. Uh, it's it's no surprise that they're having a lot of success there in Houston. With that said, and I don't want to turn this into a Rockets podcast, but I was talking a lot about them last week. I had Craig Ackerman on on Friday on Magic Drive Time, and he was outstanding. Uh, he's their radio play-by-play. The debate between whether or not you can quote-unquote win this way, right? It, it feels like what we all were saying about the Warriors four years ago, right? With that said, when I look at that team, I don't think necessarily that you know Westbrook and Harden aren't going to work. I think Westbrook's kind of having some growing pains right now, but I think he'll figure it out. I think they'll figure it out. They're great players. I'm not sure that team can win a championship right now just because of the the rest of the supporting cast. But I don't know. Like if Westbrook takes a jump and all this, I mean, you could see them start scoring 130 points a game. I would not be shocked if in January or February they rattled off 10 or 12 straight wins and skyrocketed to the top of the Western Conference. I think that Style can win. I think James Harden can win. I'm not sure it's there for this season, but long term, I'm kind of, you know, I, I would be worried if I was in the rest of the Western Conference. I I don't know. I think the D'Antoni uncertainty probably plays in a little bit. I think they might need a third creator or playmaker. Um I don't know if you can rely on Ben McLemore in the postseason for instance, and I think they need to be better defensively, but I think they're pretty damn good. No, definitely. And look, this team could have won a championship, but you're going against Absolutely. an all-time great team in the Golden State Warriors. So you wonder if there's there was some overreaction to that by 
you know, even making the Chris Paul move for uh, Russell Westbrook. Right. But look, if if that's what Russ, if that's what James Harden wanted, if he wanted to play with Russ again, you have to understand that move. Uh, the thing that'll be interesting about them is Phoenix ran into this problem under Mike D'Antoni, where they immediately made an alteration the Joe Johnson year. That team had tremendous success, and then they started to shift their style of play. They bought into the critics and said, you may not be able to win that way. And the first you know, domino to fall was they traded Joe Johnson, they got Boris Diaw, they got Raja Bell, they moved on from Quentin Richardson. Yep. And in my opinion, they were never as successful as that first Suns team if they would have let it grow organically. The thing you have to wonder here in Houston, did we overreact mm. to the fact that you're going against the Warriors every year and start to alter that team? Is Russell Westbrook the best pairing for James Harden? Or would it be better to just, look, James Harden's going to score 54 points for you when you need it. Is it better to have a high collection of role players right. around him rather than another superstar? But those are the things that will be interesting as we watch the NBA season unfold. Because when you look over at, let's say, a Milwaukee, who the Magic played earlier in the week, you know, you could argue about Middleton being a second superstar. I, I don't I don't quite think he is. I think he's a really good, you know, uh, Robin to a Batman. Yeah. Uh, but that team is just constructed with perfect pieces around Giannis. And it's going to be all about him and making that work. Would that be a better formula for for the way you construct a team around Harden? And that'll be the interesting thing to to watch unfold. I think Houston can get even better. You know, they they haven't had uh, Eric Gordon the whole time. They've been dealing with some other injuries. So it, it'll be interesting as, as they get healthier and as Westbrook and Harden figured out the success they could have there. Last one for last week. Who is more impressive to you right now? Who do you think is better, Lakers or Bucks? The Lakers right now I agree. Uh, are just so dominant yeah. and have so many different ways they can hurt you. The big question for them is going to be is, is just health, yep. in my opinion. Yep. Uh, you know, LeBron's older. Anthony Davis has never really truly stayed healthy for an entire NBA season, and they lack depth to withstand uh, a number of injuries. So it'll be interesting to me to see how that plays out over the course of an NBA season. And then, you know, for Milwaukee, uh, we saw last postseason that they played great regular season basketball, but then in the postseason, uh, towards the end of their run, uh, their shot makers weren't making shots. Does that happen again? So... I think that Milwaukee's the better constructed team, but in the case where you're looking at where talent could win out, right now the Lakers were extremely impressive to me, and we'll see how it holds up and goes into the postseason. I think part of the problem is, it's it's funny, you know, Milwaukee's the best defensive team in the league, and, and the Lakers are third, and there's not much of a difference. We're talking .6 uh, points per 100 possessions. I think the interesting thing to me is I think the Lakers have... The, the possibility of being more dominant defensively, like on a game-to-game basis, especially now that they're getting healthy. You get Avery Bradley back in there. You think about a game where, you know, JaVale McGee or Dwight might have five blocks each. Um, you, th- you think about LeBron in the postseason when he really wants to defend. And you think about Anthony Davis, who, as long as he's healthy, is a Defensive Player of the Year candidate. I feel like, even though Milwaukee has proven that they're the better defensive team, or at least right there with them, I feel like the Lakers have, like, an extra mile per hour on their fastball defensively. Um, and I also feel like they can go style to style 
in a seven-game series against different teams, maybe a little bit better than Milwaukee can. But you're right. It's ultimately going to come down to, do they do they meet a Toronto who dares Giannis to shoot or dares Eric Bledsoe to shoot, and are they able to knock down shots? And I think that's probably the big hole with them. Oh, definitely. And we saw that happen last se- right. season. You know, they... Bledsoe wasn't even on the floor in a lot of these critical moments. They had to go with George Hill. They had to make, you know, alterations. So it'll be interesting if that happens again to them. Uh, But, you know, if those shot makers are making shots, if Giannis, who's had a good three-point shooting stretch, if that continues to go for them, then watch out. But uh, right now, it's going to be an interesting battle. That's the interesting part about this season, I think. You look at some of these last seasons, and early on, you're just thinking, who's going to beat the Warriors? Like, how's that going to happen? And it turns out injuries did happen, and Toronto did it last year. But if that team's healthy, does does that happen? Yeah. Probably, probably not. So uh, so it'll be really interesting uh, this postseason because there's a lot to really look about organic growth within teams and how that alters landscapes. We saw, I think we finally saw the group yesterday that Jeff Weltman and John Hammond put together this summer. I mean, you you go through the beginning of the season, even even when the team was healthy, the shooting was so bad early on this year that it, you knew it was going to get a little bit better. And it's been better certainly last couple weeks. I mean, last two nights, uh, Magic have knocked down 15 plus threes. That's only happened four times in franchise history. It's never happened three times. So we'll see if they can knock that down uh, on Tuesday night. So when the three balls fall and this team absolutely is dangerous and, and, and can hang with anybody in the league. But you finally get Vooch back yesterday, and it just felt like all the pieces fell back into place. Granted, it's the Pelicans. That team is fun to watch, and they've got a lot of young talent, but they, they can't stop anybody, and I'm not sure. I think there's probably some major changes coming their way sooner than later. But that, you finally looked at it yesterday, and you hang 130 points, which is a season high, and it was just, that was the magic group that you expected to see all year. And Basically, everybody played well yesterday. Now, again, I want to see it uh, against Utah. I want to see it against Denver. But what were your impressions from the game yesterday? And, you know, Vooch comes back, and not only does he give you – I think the the quintessential Vooch game is 20 points and 9 rebounds. Like, it always feels like Vooch had a good game. What did he have? Oh, 29, yeah. That sounds about right. Everything sort of clicked yesterday. No, definitely. I would put it at 20 and 10 because he's Mr. Double-Double. Okay, he's right. always among the Fair. double-double leaders. So. He fell one rebound short of me being impressed with his uh, <laughs> with, with his performance. Oh, you're a tough critic, but no, th- there was a poll the Magic put out on Twitter that I thought you know fit him well, which was what did the Magic miss most in his absence? And you could talk about his scoring, which is really easy. You know, you had a guy who's going to give you twenty plus a game, uh, certainly. But the Magic were getting pounded on losing some rebounding battles. Yep. There, Steve Clifford was talking about the physicality. He comes in right away, secures that element. We saw Jonathan Isaac be a little bit more assertive. He in was grabbing. phenomenal yesterday. Uh, some of those boards yesterday, he really took that to heart. Uh, so you have those elements being solidified. And then the real big thing is spacing. Uh, and I thought that's where you saw it take off for some other guys. When Vooch is out there, all of, a thing, all of a sudden, things open up for Markel Fultz. Right. It's easier for him to get in there and navigate. He has more lanes to dish it off and pass it. And I thought he had a really good, you know, explosive game, especially in that third quarter where they set the season high with, uh, you know, 41 points in, in that frame. So I think the spacing, the decision-making, we saw him right off the bat, you know, not only with a putback, but he also set up Aaron Gordon with that little give-and-go. Right. And... He's so phenomenal and draws so much attention that it just makes it easier for everybody else. Because Clifford's mentioned this before. 
the number two guys on the team that other teams game plan for are Nikola Vucevic and Terrence Ross. Yep. And when both of those guys are doing damage, it makes it easier for everybody else. And I think there's some question, will Evan Fournier continue to score at the rate that he was when Vooch comes back? He did yesterday, and if that continues, this Magic team becomes all of a sudden the one that people were projecting could be in the top half of the Eastern Conference. I thought Cliff talked, I think it was Saturday at practice, Cliff talked about that question. Dennis Newman asked him about it on the pregame uh, as well. And it was fascinating, his answer, specifically about can Fournier keep it going when Vooch comes back? And he was like, look, we don't call plays for Vooch. Like he's, we call, like, he's fifth in play calls. You know what I mean? Like, everything that he does, and he called him a coach's dream, everything that he does is within the framework of the offense and it's just an option, you know. It's not we got to get the ball to Vooch, we got to get him going. He's so good at picking his spots, and when you're a big man like that, who doesn't need because we've known big men who need plays, plays <laughs> called for, for sure. them. When it's like that, that is how you get guys like Evan Fournier and Terrence Ross going and comfortable. That's how you create those lanes for Markel Fultz. It's not you can't in 2019 dump the ball down to the post and everybody else stands around and tries to space the floor. Like it, it, the athletes are too big, fast, strong. Having a Nick Vucevic who is able to sort of just slide in and still get to 20 and 10 and get junk buckets, but also, you know, at the end of the shot clock, you can dump it down to him, feel comfortable, you're going to get a good shot. That's how I think everybody else blossoms. So it was probably, and I understand why we asked the question, but it was probably kind of ridiculous. Will Fournier be able to keep it going when Vooch comes back? Or, you know, is it going to have some sort of a negative impact? Or even people asking the question, is the Magic offense better without Nick Vucevic? It's ridiculous. Um, I, I but but I was interested in the way that, that Cliff described him. Like it for a guy who scores twenty points to not have any plays called for him, it's incredible. No, definitely. And I think the few times critical that Steve Clifford's been critical of himself in some of the instances where the the magic offensive hasn't flowed in late in games is you know, maybe we should have gone to Vooch more. So you you have to like about the the great part about Vooch is one of his main assets is his decision making coupled with his playmaking. So he's a guy you could put anywhere on the floor, whether he's at the top of the key, whether he's in the post, whether he's out in the corner, and he's going to still find a way to create, not only for himself, but for others. So there's very few guys in the league that could do that, especially at that position. You're talking about maybe Jokic, you're talking about Carl Anthony Towns. Vooch brings that dimension for you, and he does it all while spacing the floor. So He's a real asset to have, and that's the other part that I really didn't personally worry about uh, Fournier being affected because if there's any guy who really helps the way Fournier plays and helps him create additionally, it's Vooch. Right. He, he sets screens. He looks for Fournier. He helps find him. He knows his spots. They have a great two-man game. So I didn't really have any worry about it. And you saw yesterday, look, Ken Birch is a great role player. When he comes in off the bench, if the Magic need him to do that, He's he's extremely valuable. Sets hard screens, plays hard, but in my opinion, better in a reserve role. Right. When you have Vooch out there, all of a sudden the floor looks a lot more open. And you know, if you have a lineup out there where it's Birch, where it's Fultz, where even still Isaac, whose shot is growing but isn't as you know respected as some other uh, spacing players. And throw Aaron in there as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, it gets tight real quick because if you're scouting that team, you're saying, number one, we're going to protect the paint. Exactly. And then if they beat us on the outside shooting the ball, we'll have to live with that. 
With Vooch out there, it becomes much harder to defend that way because he's pulling that five-man out. And if that five-man doesn't respect his outside shot, he's going to light him up all day. Well, and he hit two threes yesterday. Struggled mightily at the beginning of the season, just like everybody else did from long range. I think he was. I just pulled up the numbers here. Um, in October, so that's just the first four games of the season, uh, he was terrible. He shot 25% from three. Got it up to 35% in November before the injury. And I think if he's consistently around 35%, you'll be comfortable with it. But that's that's a very, very important element to the offense, just like you said, because I'm most comfortable with Aaron Gordon and Markel Fultz and Jonathan Isaac when they're getting into the paint and they're finishing. And to, to, to bring that five-man out and just to have, you know, not allow teams to pack the paint like that, um, that's the way that this starting five, I think, really, really takes off. And that is contingent on Vooch knocking down threes. No, definitely. And it has a reciprocal effect. Then you, you know, go to the second unit and you have some spacing out there. Right. The way that they're set up now with Mo Bamba when he's hitting his outside shots with DJ Augustine. If those two guys are out there with him, they're hitting shots, then the floor becomes more open for Terrence Ross. We see the opportunity for him to go off and have a night like he did last night where he's very efficient and, you know, in that third quarter helped the, the offense explode. So the team becomes much more balanced. The lineups become much more balanced. And uh, you really like the offensive opportunity and potential for that team. Did you read Josh's piece this morning on Markel and J.J.? Yeah, and, and that's you know something I've had some insight on, uh, just talking to Markel about his relationship with J.J., how impactful he was on Markel during his time. What did he tell you? I'm fascinated. He, yeah, no, he, he, he had a great relationship with a lot of his teammates in Philly, and that's the fascinating thing about Markel is because, look, this guy was dealing with an injury, and there were a lot of outside forces taking shots yep. at him there. And you would think for a guy like that, he'd have every right to not, you know, to be closed off to media people, to kind of push teammates away. And he's been anything but that here in Orlando. You look at the way he's embraced the media. Anytime, you know, people request to speak to Markel, he speaks. And he's really good at it, too. One of the better speakers we've ever had here. Just very insightful and open. And then on top of that, there's not a player that's probably more beloved in that locker room than Markel Fultz. And uh, the way it seems like every guy on the team gravitates to him and roots for him. And then you look at his past, and when we've had the T.J. McConnells come through here, we've had you know uh, Joel Embiid and those guys come through, everybody's rooting for the guy. And I think that just says a lot about his character, that to go through everything he went through and to come out on the other side of this and be as humble as he is, be as open as he is, and to have as many people in his corner as he does, it's it's really remarkable. It's almost even more impressive than than what he's doing on the court. And what and that play yesterday, the behind the back dunk. I mean, that was incredibly impressive. But that's what's that's what struck me too, Dan. Like media members, first and foremost, right? There's there have been a lot of narratives painted about Markel Fultz and anybody from Philadelphia that I spoke with or even anybody from around the league, everybody's pulling for him. Um, and and some, I think if you're the number one pick and you have this weird injury situation, I think it's easy for people to create um, an idea and maybe vilify you a little bit. And it's been anything but. The teammates thing you don't, you know, you would expect most of his ex-teammates would be pulling for him, um, even though what you said, like you're 100% right that he was sort of at arm's length for a while there. I mean, it got kind yeah. of weird, and he was away from the team at times. 
but we we know JJ Reddick. Like he doesn't sugarcoat things. He's he, no. he's not going to give you a quote because he feels like you need it. And he told Josh Robbins in the Athletic yesterday, "I'm being serious. I don't want to get emotional about this, but it means a lot to me to see him play. Period. And it means a lot that he has a smile on the court." Uh, he said, "I'll be a fan of that guy for hopefully the next fifteen or twenty years. He's a special kid." And so now that goes way beyond, like, he had an injury, I'm pulling for him. Now we're talking about, like, I love this guy, and I'm really, really hoping that everything works out for him. That Now you're talking about personality and, and the actual person that Markel Fultz is. No, unquestionably. And it, to me, a lot of the success that he's having also ties in fully to what Jeff Weltman and John Hammond did yep. from the moment they acquired him. There was no, and J.J. said that as well. There was no pressure uh, to try to force him, like, at the end of last season, like, we got to get this guy on the court. It was like, number one, let's get him healthy. Let's build the trust level there. Let's show him that we trust in him to get right. Let's show him that we have his best interest in the team at heart because it would be real easy to say, you know what, we're on the edge of a playoff run here, and, you know, where's one area where we have uh, – you know, deficiency, well, it's the backup point guard yep. position. Let's try to roll the kid out here maybe before he's a little bit ready. And I'm not saying that some organizations would do it, but I'm just saying that Jeff Weltman and John Hammond didn't make that decision. Number one was let's get him healthy, let's get him right, and let's get him in our program, and let's build a relationship there. And they did that, and they spent the whole summer going everywhere he did, you know, following him and building him, bring him along. And I think – we're seeing the payout right now of those results and he rebuilt his confidence. He rebuilt, you know, the trust in the shoulder. He rebuilt all of that all while getting healthy. And I think he feels uh, a certain trust with this particular organization. I think he feels a trust with the front office, uh, with the players around him. And he's really grown into a core piece of this magic organization. And you could even see the difference, and I know J.J. kind of touched on this a little bit. If you just go back and watch the, you know, his first interview when he was acquired by the Magic compared to now, mm. there is a certain you know light in his eyes that's there that kind of looked a little dimmer um, from the beginning because I think you know, he didn't necessarily feel as confident as he does now, and I think – you hear that in Markel when he speaks. You know, he came out on the other side of this. He is playing well. He feels good. And I think there's a confidence now that he could get through anything. And, you know, necessarily, I don't know if he had that at that particular time when he was acquired here. No, and I think you bring up a good point. And, and J.J. did touch on that, too. He said the Magic did a great job. Uh, let me see it here. He said, I feel like he's in a good place both mentally and physically, meaning he's in the right spot in Orlando. I just love what the Magic have done in allowing him to grow and be himself. I think they struck the right chord of we're here for you and we want to build this base and build a trust. And as we know, it's a business. I mean, you know, he could get traded in, in, in February. We don't know. But I think Markel probably needed that. He needed to feel like he had a whole bunch of people in his corner so that when you do hit that bump in the road, because it'll happen, he'll get hurt again or he'll have five straight bad games. You know, you don't feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders and it's all happening again, and here we go, I'm back in Philadelphia now, right? Um, he's able now, it's almost like a coping mechanism. He's able now to deal with um, the, the the pitfalls that you have that everybody has in, in, in their NBA career. And, you know, it, he doesn't need to be the top pick. He doesn't need to deliver on all the expectations that he had. 
He just needs to play, and that's really all anybody's expecting of him. Um, you know, we just want you to go out there and do what you were born to do, what you love doing, and everything else will take care of itself. So certainly, it's been great seeing him develop, and and now I really feel like then you start to spin it forward. I mean, yesterday again, the Pelicans. You put eight scorers in double digits. It was everybody had fun yesterday. It's going to be another tough week. Uh, three tough opponents certainly in Tuesday and Wednesday against two really good defensive teams in Utah and Denver. I don't know what this Magic team is just yet, but I feel like we're going to find out in the next week or two. Um, we're going to have a much better sense of it. And whether or not you're talking about you know the trade market or whatever, I think finally we can get a really good evaluation of this group because they're healthy, except for Al Farouk Aminu, and, and now we're at the point in the season kind of where it's like this is who you are. The jumpers are falling a little bit. You're going to have some bad nights, whatever. Um, the incredible defense you saw at the beginning of the year sort of came back down a little bit. But I think now getting healthy and and at this point of the year, we're going to get a real clear evaluation of this team over the next few weeks. No, definitely. And that's what you, you really hope to have at this, uh, this stage of the game is you want all your guys together so you can look and see what do we what might might we need to add come the trade deadline? What might we be deficient at? And those are the things that uh, I think you know Jeff Weltman and John Hammond are going to have to assess over the next uh, you know f- few weeks as as you look at th- the team starting to develop. But uh, I, I think just like you said, it, there's a lot within this team that can grow, and I think Markel Fultz is one of those pieces. And I think that helped him because you look at the guys he was surrounded with in this journey. Jonathan Isaac missed the majority of his rookie season. And there were people, you know, who doubted how effective he would be as he entered his second and third seasons. Those people are quiet now. Uh, Mo Bamba missed a majority of his rookie season. He was coming and recovering at the same time Markel Fultz was because people forget, you know, he barely played at all last season. And you know, he was hearing doubts. He's starting to quiet some of those doubts. So there's a lot of people around him in the same age group because you look at Mo Bamba, Jonathan Isaac, Markel Fultz, all 21-year-old, who've all gone through some level of injury and missing time and hearing criticism. And I think that definitely helps. So when you look at this Magic Core, there's a lot of players that can relate to one another there. Even Aaron Gordon missed significant time early in his career uh, with injury and came out the other side of it in his second year. So I like the way this team is constructed, and I think if given time, they can really develop within each other. And sure, there may be the need to add some shooting, but you can always supplement that uh, at one point or another. But hey, if they play like they did last night and those shots are starting to fall and, and the space is enough for these guys then uh, this Magic team, they they put up numbers like that. They're going to be uh, a real tough team to, to put out in the playoffs because we all know the defensive ability is certainly there. Early in the year, I felt like once in every four or five games, Mo would have a good game. Now I feel like once in every four or five games, Mo has a bad game. I mean, he's getting to the point where he's starting to stack them together, and, and we knew the jumper was, uh, was, was buttered as long as he was uh, comfortable and, and getting it off. But and we knew the block. You know, it, it, every once in a while he'd have a, a blocks explosion. He's starting to do it more consistently, and he also you're starting to see some emotion from him that I did not see at the beginning of the season. I don't know if he's settling in. I don't know if he got angry at the way he was playing at the beginning of the year. I don't know if he just got comfortable and added some confidence when Vooch went down because he knew he was going to be needed and knew he was going to be out there. But he is growing in front of our very eyes. 
No, definitely. And look, anytime you select a big man in this league, it's going to take, take time because I think, especially when you develop or draft a big man who isn't necessarily fully developed physically. Right. You look at DeAndre Ayton in Phoenix, and look, that guy's going to be effective from the jump because his body's NBA ready. I think when you de- when you decide to draft a Jonathan Isaac or a Mo Bamba, there has to be a few-year assumption there that it's going to take time for those guys to bang because it's a very physical league. Mm-hmm. If you're down there, down low, watching every Against night, Mark Gasol and, you know, these 34-year-old grown-ass men. It's brutal. It's brutal down there. There's a lot of physicality still in this league and, and mainly at that position. Because you look, you know, James Harden can kind of get around that with the way that he plays. But if you have to go down there and rebound, if you have to go down there and block shots, if you have to establish position, you have to be built up. And we look at Mo Bamba, we knew entering the league that he was going to be developed, have to develop there. And then you give him an offseason when he should be making big gains in that element. And he did make some gains, but he's also rehabbing yeah. at that, that time. So he's really... You know, that injury not only affected him because, you know, it took away some of his, you know, inaugural campaign, but it's also... Inaugural uh, campaign, <laughs> I like it. But it's also... President Mo. Uh, it's also taken away from his ability to just focus on adding weight and building structure. Yep. So I, I look at it as I think we're going to see him continue to make gains this season, but I think the biggest jump for him is probably going to come this season into next where he really another has off a, season. where he has another off season where his total focus could be on developing his game you know working becoming more cer- cerebral looking back at the mistakes he made cuz he's a smart kid and i think he's going to figure it out utah tuesday denver wednesday portland friday and then you come back what do you need the 2 and 2 would you be happy with 2 and 2 on this trip oh unquestionably because you look at the back to back and where those Back-to-back altitudes. Denver's a top-five defense. I mean, Utah's defense actually fallen off a little bit so far you, this year. But you've traveled with the team before, Jake. So I know you. Know, when you fly on these trips, it takes something out of you, and then you throw the altitude in the yeah. mix. When I've been on some of these back-to-backs involving Utah and Denver, or just flying in late at night, it takes something out of me. Right, and I'm just sitting there reporting on the game. Uh, so let alone uh, playing in this. I mean, we were we did one trip. It was either last season or the season before. John Denton and I went snowboarding in Utah on like the off day mm-hmm. that we had, and I did not feel like myself physically that whole day. So, I I just look at it. It does take something out of you. There's a reason that the two of them have a combined six losses at home this season. Three apiece. One's ten and three. The other's eleven and three. And then you wow, look, that's a that's that's a big number. Yeah, and then you look at their road records, and Denver's barely over five hundred on the road, six and five, and Utah's five and eight on the road. Wow, there's a reason that those teams have such established dominance at home, and the ratio is so crazy. You look at other teams in the West, like the Lakers are ten and two at home; they're fourteen and one on the road. Right, <laughs> there's not many losses there. You know. The the Clippers may be the one exception. They're thirteen one at home, seven and seven on the road. But the rest of them, there's not that staggering of a difference. Uh, but Utah and Denver, year over year, have those dominant home courts advantage. And sure, you could talk about the crowd being good. Listen, you know Utah's crowd is 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 solid. 
Denver, I've been in their nights where they're not having an impact, but they still have a huge home court advantage. No, that place and stinks. It's 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 all related to that altitude. It's like the South Beast advantage, but well, just that's more that's that's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> like it, when I was traveling with the Pistons, uh, yes, traveling took it out of me, but I also took it out of myself because of we've uh, all done that. In the Miami activities that time. I had, we've all done that in Miami from time to time <laughs> in specific places. I treated everywhere like Miami. It was the South Beach, uh, Beach advantage. Look at the number of words on those stories in the in the in the post game of Miami <laughs> versus like some quick, of the other quick ones. gamer, quick yeah, gamer, yeah. get it, get it, get it, it, can, it, it filed from time to time. Uh, thanks for doing this. Appreciate. Merry yeah, Christmas. Anytime for you. All right. It's Dan Savage, OrlandoMagic.com. My name is Jake Chapman. Uh, follow him on Twitter at Dan underscore Savage. Follow me on Twitter at Jake Chapman. OM Magic on the Road this week. Utah Tuesday, Denver Wednesday, and the Portland Trailblazers on Friday. We're going to take next week off for the holiday. So we'll be back in two weeks with another edition of Magic Weekly. Uh, have a good one.